making sure I had the microphone working correctly. It's good to be here this morning. Thank you very much for the invitation uh, to stand before you and to share some of God's word with you. It's good to see uh, the friends that we have here uh, as often as we can. And so uh, despite the circumstances, do want to thank you uh, for the prayers on the Savage family's uh, behalf, uh, as well as for the Dillon family at home uh, who go to church with us. Um, Appreciate all those prayers in those situations for those that are grieving loss. Um, Certainly not an easy time uh, for anyone that loses a loved one. So thank you very much for that. But it is a joy to be here with you. And we do want to share a few minutes this morning uh, talking about uh, the pearl of great price. And this comes out of Matthew, the 13th chapter, verses 45 and 46. And if you've been in the church a long time, you hear the pearl of great price and you probably think Truman Teal, right? Truman had a, an amazing uh, sermon on the Pearl of Great Price, and I'm not Truman Teal, and I'm not trying to be Truman Teal, uh, but we were going through at home on the different parables of Jesus and kind of walking through, and so uh, I, I got the parable of uh, the Pearl of Great Price, and I do think that it's a powerful message. It's a sh- very short parable, very short story, but, but can be very, very powerful to us. And so let's turn to that scripture and let's read together as Jesus is preaching here. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now in Matthew the 13th chapter, as as Jesus begins teaching here, you'll find him at the Sea of Tiberias and he, a large crowd gathers around him and he actually steps onto a boat in the water and the crowd gathers around on the shore to listen as he's teaching. And throughout this chapter, we see him walking through parables. Uh, He talks about uh, the parable of the sower, to begin Matthew 13 and explains that. He talks about the parable of the tares or the weeds. Uh, He talks about the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. All of these he's comparing to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. He then goes inside the house away from the multitudes just with his disciples and he explains the parable of the tares or the parable of the weeds specifically. And if you remember that parable, talks about how that there's wheat planted and then there's also weeds that sprang up. And that essentially God said, we're gonna wait until the end, but all of that's gonna be sifted and all of that's gonna be be brought up and the wheat is gonna be separated from the tares. And obviously we want to be the wheat, not the weeds, right? We want to be in the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God. As he's explaining that to his disciples, he then transitions in to a couple of more parables. He talks about the parable of the hidden treasure, where a man goes and he finds this treasure buried in a field, very similar to the parable of the great, uh, of the pearl of great price. And, and then he goes and he makes sure he sells all that he has so that he can go uh, buy that field. And then he gets to this parable, the pearl of great price. And he says, there was a merchant man who was seeking goodly pearls. Now I want you to think about this merchant man. He's a buyer and seller of pearls. So he is seeking pearls. He already has many pearls, I'm sure, as, as a distributor, as a trader of pearls. And so he's going about and he's selling these pearls to people, but he's looking for more good pearls. And he stumbles upon this one particular pearl that he describes as the pearl of great value or great price. It is a pearl that is more spectacular than any other pearl that he has ever come across in his life. And so he goes and he sells everything that he had, all of the other pearls that he had to trade and to sell to people so that he could acquire that one pearl of immense, immeasurable value. And Jesus uses this illustration to teach us the importance and the value of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I wanna talk a little bit about pearls for just a second in the first century. We think about pearls today and, and they're very nice. With pearl necklaces, you see people wear very nice jewelry, but we don't, attribute the same level of value today to pearls that they did in the first century. In fact, 
Pliny the Elder, who was a first century Roman historian, said the first place and the topmost rank among all things of price is held by pearls. Their whole value lies in their brilliance, size, roundness, smoothness, and weight. In the first century, pearls were very, very rare because it was a very dangerous and oftentimes deadly endeavor to try to even find pearls. In fact, what they would have to do is they would take a boat out into the the sea and it was the Persian Gulf area, the Red Sea, where a lot of these pearls came from uh, that, that existed in the Roman Empire. And these pearl, what they would call pearl divers or pearl fishers would actually take a rope and they'd, they'd step off the, the boat and they'd have a, a weight of some kind, a stone that they were holding. And then they'd have a rope with a basket attached and they would jump into the water holding their breath and they would sink down sometimes as deep as a hundred feet to the bottom of the sea floor so that they could then gather oysters and they had that basket attached to the rope and they'd put as many oysters as they could into that basket And then they'd drop the weight and they'd surface as quickly as they could. And then the people on the boat would pull that basket up and they would have oysters. They'd then open them and they'd search for the pearls. And that was how pearls were acquired. Many people died doing this, as you can imagine. They had to hold their breath for a very long time in order to get to the bottom that deep and search. So pearls were very, very rare. And more than gold or any other gems, they were considered the most valuable uh, stone or gem that you could have. And so as Jesus talks about pearls, I just want us to understand as the disciples were hearing that, they thought even more highly about the pearl than you and I would naturally. And they recognized as Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of heaven, the immense immeasurable value that he was describing. So I want us to think about three elements of this merchant man as he was searching for these goodly pearls. He was seeking, first of all, he was looking. But not only was he looking, he had an awareness to recognize the value when he saw it. So he was an expert enough to know what made a pearl of great value. He recognized the, the size, the brilliance, the roundness, the smoothness, all of those things that contributed to the immense value of this great pearl. And he recognized his, its value. And then he took that next step to sell everything else in order to acquire it, all for what Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus talking about when he says the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is that eternal spiritual kingdom that belongs to God. Daniel prophesied about that kingdom in Daniel 2 verse 44 when he said the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. This is an eternal kingdom. The physical representation of that kingdom on earth, Jesus called his church in Matthew chapter 16. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, all those that follow Jesus Christ that are members of his eternal kingdom, past, present, and future, those that have gone on, those that are still here, all of us are a part of that kingdom if we have obeyed the gospel of Christ and are living for him. And Jesus says that kingdom, being a part, one of Jesus's followers, being one of his children is so valuable. It is like finding this one pearl that is beyond the value of anything else that you could ever acquire and giving up everything else in order to obtain it. So I wanna ask you this morning, what is the most important thing in your life? What is your pearl of great price? Because we all have them. We all have things in our life that we focus on, that we treasure and that we value, that we put our time, our energy and our effort into acquiring. And so as I ask you that question, what's the most important thing in your life? 
We think about some of the answers that, that sometimes people will come up with to that question. Sometimes the answer is, oh, it's my family. My family is the most important thing to me. And family is extremely important. I love my family. I love my wife, my sons. I love my dad. I love my siblings. I love my grandparents. I love my whole extended family. The relationships that I share with them, the love that we have, being there for each other, all of those things are extremely valuable. Family is great. It's wonderful. But is family the most important thing in your life? You know, there are situations that some people come up against where it becomes a choice between family or the church. There are people that have had to give up relationships with family in order to obey the gospel and become Christians. And I admire that. I've not had to do that. I've not had to sacrifice family relationships for the kingdom. But if you had that situation where it was disappoint mom and dad, or it was lose a relationship with a family member that you love, or be a member of Christ's kingdom, Christ's church, what would you choose? What's more important to you? Is it family or is it the church? Is it the kingdom of heaven? You know, sometimes people will make all of the parties and they'll make the baseball games and the band practices and all the other things. It's, it's about family, but they'll miss the church services. They'll miss the studies. They'll miss the fellowship opportunities with the church. Where does your priority lie? Sometimes people will go to church in one place because they know that makes mom and dad happy. Even though they know it's not the right church. They know it's not the right congregation they should be going to. At the end of this story, we have to evaluate, is family more important than the church? Or is the church, the kingdom of heaven, really that pearl of great price for us? Are we willing to put the kingdom first, even if it means the expense of our family? Some people would answer this question, they'd say, well, my job. My job is the most important thing because my job is how I provide for my family. It's how I make a way in life, right? I've got to have my job. I've got to have an income coming in or I find my fulfillment in my job. That's the most important thing in my life. Nothing wrong with a job. A job is good. We need jobs. We need to be working. We need an income. We need finances to be able to take care of ourselves and our loved ones, our families, to provide a living, all of those things. Nothing wrong with that. Those are good things. Unfortunately, sometimes there becomes a situation where we have to choose what's more important our job or the kingdom of heaven. You know, you might have an opportunity at your job to move somewhere, to get a promotion and a raise to go somewhere, but there's not a church there. There's not a community of believers there. What do you choose? You may be in a situation where you have a corrupt boss or supervisor that asks you to do something dishonest, to fudge the numbers, and you don't wanna get fired. You don't wanna lose your job. What do you do? Do you stand up for integrity and say, my Christianity and my faith is more important? Being a member of, of the kingdom of heaven is more important? That's my pearl of great price? Or is my job more important? Maybe some people spend all their time working and they spend 60, 70, 80 hours a week at work, working, working, working all the time, neglecting family, neglecting church, neglecting the other things of life, all in an effort to, hey, I'm trying to provide a living and do the best that I can do. But life becomes out of balance. What's more important, your job or the church? Are you willing to put the kingdom first as the pearl of great price, even if it means sacrificing that raise or that promotion or even that job? Some people might answer this question. And they say, it's my health. My health is the most important because without my health, I can't do my job. It affects what I can do with my family. It affects everything else about life. And that's very true. And we, we see people and we know people. And there may be some of you here in this congregation this morning that have, have diseases and sicknesses and, and, and chronic things that affect you, that bring you pain, that, that cause you some suffering as you walk through life. Those aren't fun things to deal with. Those aren't things we want. Obviously, all of us recognize the importance of health. 
We want good health. We want to maintain our good health. But at the end of the story, if something afflicts us, if we do contract a disease, if we do have a health issue that does it destroy us? Do we, do we fall into a pit of sorrow and depression so deep that we can't crawl back out? Or do we recognize that this life is temporary and that the real pearl of great price is the kingdom of heaven? And that's what we're gonna live for, whether we're healthy or we're not. Sometimes people fall into that depression or that anger by these things that happen. Sometimes people blame God for an injury that happens or for a sickness that they contract or a health crisis that they're in. I wanna encourage you not to blame God for those things. I don't believe that it's God doing those things. We live in a broken world, a world of sin. Satan exists, sin exists, and might I add, free will exists. And free will leads to a lot of the things um, that we see around us that are negative in this world. And we'll discuss that a little bit more as we go. Are you willing to put the kingdom first, even if you don't have your health? Some people answer this question, what's the most important thing in your life? And they say, it's financial security. You know, as long as I secure my, my financial future, right? I'm gonna save the right amount. I'm gonna invest for the long term. I'm gonna make sure my retirement's great. I'm gonna do, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with investing. There's nothing wrong with having good retirement. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. Nowhere in scripture does it condemn having wealth. But what did Paul tell Timothy to instruct to those that were rich in this world? What did he say to tell them? Not to be high-minded, so don't think about yourself as any better than anybody else. And don't trust in uncertain riches because guess what? Riches are uncertain. You could have money today and you could lose it tomorrow. There could be a number of situations that happen that, that ends up with us losing everything. High skyrocketing medical bills and something happens and we have to use all of our savings and stuff to pay. There's a million situations that can happen. What I wanna ask you is, are you ruined if you were to lose all of the money that you've spent these years acquiring, are you ruined? Is your life over? Is that what your life's about? Or is your life about something else? Is it about the kingdom of heaven? And are you willing to put the kingdom first, even if the worst happened and you lost every possession and every worldly thing that you had? For a Christian that recognizes the value of the kingdom of heaven, we should be able to withstand that. Some people answer this question. They say, what's the most important thing in my life? Well, it's, it's my particular cause. It's my particular pet issue. It's the thing that, that I really believe in, that I want to tell everybody about. And you know, we think about some of these social causes and pet issues that we have today and, and, and a lot of the causes that are, that are going on today. There's some causes that are good, nothing wrong with it. They're biblical, that are scriptural. There's some that aren't. But the reality is when somebody thinks about you, what do they think of first? Do they think about that social cause that you're so passionate about? Do they think about that pet issue that's the only thing you ever talk about or post about on social media? Or do they think about your faith? Do they think about your love for God in the church? What's the first thing that comes to people's mind when they hear your name said? That'll tell you a lot about where your priorities are. It'll tell you a lot about how you spend your time, how you use your social media, and your conversations with people. And I wanna encourage you, there's a million opinions that all of us have about a lot of things, and they're just that, they're opinions. The most important thing to us should be God and the church. And that should shine through in our, light, in, in our life, in our actions, in our conversations, and in every other way. What's more important to you? 
making sure you teach about that particular cause or teach about the gospel of Christ? Somebody answers this question, what's the most important thing in my life? And they say, well, it's politics. You know, it seems like in 2020, everything is about politics. Everything is politicized today. You almost can't say anything without it being political in some way. Is everything Democrat or Republican to you? Do you see everything through that lens? Is everything red or blue? Or is it more important to us that it's scriptural or not scriptural? Is it more important to us that God is behind it, is for it or not? Because I'm gonna tell you at the end of this story, when all of this is gone and we have the eternal kingdom of God as all that's remaining, Republican and Democrat, all of these political things, they're gonna mean nothing. What's gonna mean everything is the teachings of God. What's gonna mean everything is following God and grasping onto that pearl of great price to make sure that we're a part of that eternal kingdom when that time comes. Are you willing to put the kingdom first? No matter what happens in our country, no matter which political party wins the election, no matter how you see the future of this society going, regardless of all those things, are you willing to put the kingdom first and live for God through it all, no matter what? Somebody answers this question, they say, it's entertainment, it's pleasure. That's the most important thing for me. It's you only live once, YOLO, right? I'm just gonna live it up. I'm gonna do it all for, for the pleasure, for the, whatever feels good, whatever my body wants, I'm gonna give it. I'm just gonna live for the passion, for the enjoyment of life. You think that's pleasing to God? You know, there's a lot of wonderful, pleasurable, entertaining things that we can participate in in life. What's, what happens sometimes though is we keep walking down the road way too far and we pass the point of good, godly, righteous fun and pleasure and entertainment. And it becomes real easy to delve into ungodliness and unrighteousness and start looking for entertainment and pleasure in ways that aren't right and that are sinful. And it's real easy to fall into that. What's more important to you? Gratifying your flesh or gratifying your spirit? Because God is calling us to walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. You know how you get over the things of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh, the pulls of the flesh? You walk after the spirit. It's one or the other. What's more important to you, the flesh or the spirit? What are you following after? Somebody answers this question, what's the most important thing in my life? And they say, it's education. I think education is important. I'm not anti-education. There's a lot of great value that can come from education. Is it the most important thing? Do you have to go to that particular school? I have to go to that when it's 900 miles away from family and church and anybody else that'll hold me accountable to doing what's right, but I have to go to that particular one. I have to get that particular degree. I have to do it in just this, do you really? Is it that important? Or are you putting your spiritual life first? What's your pearl? Is education the pearl of great price for you? It's all about knowledge. It's all about that, that accumulation of societal knowledge. Do we hold more respect for people with PhD after their name or the writers of the Bible who were inspired by God? What's more important to us? It's real easy to fall into the trap of believing that everything is about higher education and knowledge and wisdom in this world. I tell you, all the knowledge and wisdom of this world is eventually gonna fade away. What's gonna be left is the knowledge and wisdom gained from the scriptures. Nothing wrong with education. Nothing wrong with entertainment or pleasure. 
There's nothing wrong with politics or having a cause or financial security or wanting health or, or loving our job or loving our family. There's nothing wrong with those things. But really what we're talking about this morning is where our heart is, right? It's where our priorities lie. What is the most valuable thing to you? The scripture in Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is one of the hardest scriptures to actually apply and live because it's really, really hard to deny ourselves. It's really, really hard to see ourselves as second and God as first. But that's what he's asking us to do. And if the kingdom of heaven really is that pearl of great price, it really is that valuable to us, we're going to be willing to say no. To say no to our wants, to our desires that aren't right. To say no when we're, when we're asked to compromise our integrity or our morals. We're gonna be willing to say, no, I'm putting God first. I'm denying myself. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon there specifically being money, but I think this principle applies to anything else you put up against God. You can't serve two masters. And so all of these things may be important to you. They may hold value in your life. What God is asking us to do is to take all of these things and to place them under the authority of him and his kingdom, to subjugate those things and to use these things to support the kingdom, to glorify God in every way that we live, in every aspect of our life, God ought to shine through. Nobody should look at us and see these as the primary master that we're serving. They should be able to tell in our actions, in our conversations, that it is God and God alone that we serve. And that we're willing at any moment to sell all that we have if necessary to hold on to that pearl of great price. Jesus said in Matthew 19 to the rich young ruler as this young man comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you've got to keep the law. And he says, I've kept the law from my youth up. What do I lack? And Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This was a man that had done almost everything right. He had a million great things going for him. He had kept the law for his whole life. He was even diligently seeking the truth and went to Jesus to ask what was needed. But when he heard what he had to do, he was unwilling to go all in and to go all the way. He was unwilling to sell everything in order to acquire that pearl. What about you? Is there something hindering you? Is there something holding you up from being all in or 100% committed to the kingdom? Because if there is, and it could be on this list or it could be something completely different we've not talked about. But if anything takes the place of God as the number one in your life, it's a problem. It's a problem. He went away sorrowful. He went away without that salvation that he was asking Jesus about because he was unwilling to put Christ first in everything. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. All of those things that we worry about, all those things that we think about, all the other pearls that exist in our life, we worry about these. We want these to go just perfectly. We want to, to do them in, in just the right way. And we want them to be an important and valuable part of our life. But what we don't realize is that by focusing on these things, we get our life out of balance. But if we'll instead focus on God and his kingdom first, all of these things will fall into place. 
and we'll be better off for it. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning telling you why I believe we'll be better off for it. Why is the kingdom the pearl of great price? Why is the church and the kingdom of heaven really that valuable? That we would be willing to sacrifice all of those things like family and job and health and causes and all those things. I'm gonna tell you it starts and ends here. It's because through that kingdom of heaven, we've been given salvation through Christ Jesus. And that salvation means eternal life for you and I. It means this life isn't all there is, but there's an eternity that awaits for us. It means that we have been saved by the blood of Jesus, not to suffer the consequences eternally in hell of the things that we have chosen to do in this life. Salvation and eternal life cannot be measured. Its value cannot be quantified. It's impossible to compare eternity and the life that God is granting us there with anything else that we've ever experienced. Even trying to do that, it's just impossible. It's that immeasurably valuable to know that there's an eternity waiting for us. And yet throughout the ages, people have asked those big questions. Why are we here? What's the purpose of mankind? What are we supposed to be doing here in this life? I'm gonna tell you, God reveals those, the answers to those questions in his word. We are here to glorify God in everything that we do. We are here to love others as God has loved us. We are here to share the message of salvation with the world because we have first been saved by him. And we are here ultimately not to live here for this life, but to transition at the end of this life into eternity into heaven, into that place of joy and peace and rest, that place where there's no more loss, there's no more sorrow, there's no more tears. What does heaven mean to you? I'm gonna tell you that thought, that thought of what awaits us should be so valuable and so important to us that it makes us realize that the kingdom of heaven really is that pearl of great price. Heaven will get to see all of those that have gone on, that have died in Christ. We'll get to be reunited with those that we've lost. And that's a comfort. Most of us in this room have probably lost someone. And it's an immense amount of comfort to know that there's a day where I'm gonna see them again. Yet this life isn't all there is. And yet, we want to put family or job or health or, or these causes or politics or these other things first. When we have a promise that is so incredibly valuable of heaven, and if we'll just remember every day as we, as we wake up and we go to work and we spend time with our family, if we'll just remember through all of the mundane and exceptional things that we do in life, if we'll remember what it's really all about, it'll help us stay on track to achieving that goal. Kingdom of heaven really is the pearl of great price. But not only because of the salvation that exists, but also because of the moral standard that we're given in scripture. And somebody says, moral standard? Isn't a moral standard just a list of things we can't do? Isn't a moral standard just a list of restrictions? That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Doesn't sound like a reason why the kingdom of heaven would be valuable. But I'm gonna tell you that moral standard is precisely one of the reasons why the kingdom of heaven is so valuable. And I'm gonna talk to you about why. That moral standard equals health, success, and a better life for you as a Christian. 
And no, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that everything's always gonna be roses in your life and you're never gonna face hardship. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the moral standard given to us in scripture does not make our life worse. It makes our life better. When we follow the plan that God outlines in scripture, our lives will quantifiably become better. And we're gonna talk about a few of those ways that that happens. The reality is the Bible and that moral standard is actually a guidebook for life and for how to live a successful, great life. There are more than 30 sexually transmitted diseases, including bacteria, viruses, and parasites, according to the World Health Organization. One of those is known as HIV. Over 75 million people have been infected by HOV, or HIV, excuse me. Over 32 million have died. Now, I just want you to consider this. If everyone in the world were following the biblical standard of morality, if everyone in the world we're interested in only, uh, only having sexual relationship with their wife or their husband in the bounds of marriage. These things would not exist. Tell me I'm wrong. These things wouldn't exist. These things exist as a result of sin, as a result of deviating from the standard of God. And they are spread by continuing to deviate from the standard of God. And there are 32 million people who have tragically died from this disease as a result of sin and brokenness in the world as a result of deviating from that moral standard. Now tell me how the world would not be a better place if everybody were living according to the morals listed in scripture. There would be more people alive. There would be less people suffering. All of those things would be true if the morals of the Bible were being followed. Over 61 million abortions have taken place in the U.S. since 1973. I think abortion is one of the, the great American failures American tragedies of our society, the amount of people that have been killed as a result of choice, as a result of free will, as a result of devaluing life, as a result of not wanting to bear the consequences of my actions. There would be 61 million people alive today in this country were it not for deviating from the standard of God. So what I'm telling you this morning is that by following that moral standard, your life is better. You don't face some of the things that come as a result of sin and deviating from that standard. Life prevails when the morals of God are followed. The biblical standard of morality would effectively eliminate violence, domestic abuse, child abuse, sexual abuse, pornography, racism, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and most, if not all, free will-based societal problems. Tell me I'm wrong. If everyone in the world throughout history had always followed the moral standard of God, these things would not exist. We look out into our society today and we see these things as rampant problems in our families and in our homes. There are too many stories that we hear about violence, about abuse, about these terrible things that go on. Pornography, a huge problem. Racism, a huge topic in 2020. All of these things that we could keep on listing are results of choices that people make, of free will decisions. You want a marriage that's not subject to domestic abuse? or child abuse, then you need a husband and a wife that are committed to living godly and following the moral standard. And if you have two people that are following the moral standard in marriage, those things aren't gonna exist in that marriage. That's why the moral standard 
is one of the reasons that the kingdom of heaven really is that pearl of great price because for those that grasp onto it and live it, our lives are just better. And we don't have to deal with some of those hardships and suffering that others do. The family structure, connected to that moral standard, but I want to zoom in on the family structure for just a moment. God designed our families in a certain way for a certain reason. When we follow that structure and we do things according to that pattern, our lives are better. We're happier. We're more more joy-filled in our life. We end up with strong marriages and better equipped children. God's design for marriage is that one man and one woman come together in that marriage. Oftentimes, of course, children are produced as a result of that union. God's design is that the father would lead his home, loving his wife and raising his children according to the godly standard. That the wife would respect and submit to her husband and be his partner and companion in life, helping to raise those godly children. His will is that parents would parent well, would be focused and intentional in teaching the precepts of God to their children, in showing them how a Christian man and a Christian woman live. And yet this family structure has been under attack in our society for years, for decades, and it still is today. And we see the effects of that. The U.S. divorce rate is about 50%. That one out of two marriages end in divorce. And the top five reasons are listed on the screen for you to see. Infidelity or unfaithfulness in marriage, money problems, communication issues, fighting and arguing with each other, and abuse. Now tell me how in a properly structured Christian marriage, not that we're perfect, not that there's not mistakes that we make, but when you have a husband that is dedicated to loving his wife and loving his kids, that husband's not gonna step out on his wife. He's not gonna abuse her or abuse his kids. When you have a wife that's submissive and respectful to her husband and they work together as partners, they're gonna have talked about money and they're gonna get on the same game plan on how to get over any financial issues that exist there. And that's not gonna cause a problem for them. They're gonna communicate and care about what each other think. And they're gonna ask for each other's opinions. They're gonna walk through life as partners. They're not gonna be fighting and arguing like cats and dogs all the time when you have husbands and wives committed to the godly standard. When you have people that value the kingdom of heaven as that pearl of great price and put it first, you're gonna have marriages. That percentage right there is not gonna be accurate. It's gonna be very, very low. And the only reason that that divorce is gonna happen is still gonna be because of selfishness by one or both parties. Because when you have two parties in a marriage who are both 100% committed to the kingdom first, those issues go away. You work through it, it's a process, but you'll work through it and you'll be dedicated and committing to doing it. You want a better family life? You want a better marriage? Put the kingdom first. You want good kids that are raised up to be mature, responsible adults that can provide for themselves and their families and more importantly, that love God and the church? You've got to model it for them. You've got to show them what that looks like. You've got to put the kingdom first. We think about kids and we think about some of the problems that exist because of these divorces. People get divorced and then you've got children that are flip-flopping between two different homes 
And then they potentially have step-parents that come into the mix that bring a, a different type of culture, different type of beliefs, different, different uh, things uh, of life that come into the equation. Or you've got a situation where one parent is selfish, leaves completely, and doesn't want anything to do with the kids. And you've got a single parent that's trying to raise these kids with no help. And when that happens, it has dramatic consequences on those kids. And I wanna share with you from the National Fatherhood Initiative some of the, the, these are just a few, there's a lot more we could talk about, but a few of the statistics that relate to children that are raised in fatherless homes. And this is not anything against mothers. Obviously the reverse is also true. Fathers that are raising kids by themselves, it's not a good situation either. And there are consequences as well. But specifically what we see as more of a problem in our society today is fatherless homes. Dads that have checked out and left. And these are some of the things that happen to these kids. They're, they're at four times greater risk of poverty. They're seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. They're more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect. They have double the risk of infant mortality. They're more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. They're more likely to go to prison. They're double as likely to suffer from obesity. They're more likely to commit crime and two times more likely to drop out of high school when these kids are raised in single parent homes without fathers. Now there's a lot of other factors. There's a lot of other reasons we could talk about. And there are great single parents that despite the selfishness of their, of their previous spouse, or perhaps they, they lost their spouse in death, there are some single parents that are wholly committed to the kingdom of God that have done a wonderful job in raising their kids. But even those single Christian parents would tell you it's not easy and it's not the ideal. And it would be a lot better to have a partner walking through life, committed to the gospel and committed to the kingdom of heaven with them, committed to raising their kids in a godly way. It's not easy. And when things get out of balance away from the structure that God has designed, there's consequences, not just for dad and mom, not just for husband and wife, but for the kids. You want a better family, stronger family relationships, more successful children, a better relationship with your wife or your husband? Put the kingdom first. Because when you do that, your life quantifiably becomes better. When you put the kingdom of God or heaven first and you make it the pearl of great price in your life, you also are joined to a community. And that community of believers that you walk through life with is one of the greatest blessings, one of the greatest blessings you'll ever have. I liked this chart, it comes from Gallup. It shows the average number of daily positive and negative emotions by church attendance, all right? So if you look at that blue line, it's heading down, right? Those are negative emotions. And then on the bottom here, you see people that never go to church, that seldom go to church, that go to church about once a month, almost every week or at least once a week. And it's just interesting to me that an organization that's not necessarily interested in promoting Christian values, they're just showing statistics a very real effect of going to church, of worshiping and of being a part of that community of believers is that negative emotions decline the more time you spend worshiping and with your spiritual community. And the same effect is true with positive emotions. People get more positive, happier and more joy-filled the more church they attend. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that's just fascinating to me that the real life effects and statistics show us that there is a quantifiable positive that comes out of being here 
in a place like this this morning with people like you. But it goes beyond that. We think about the very real effects of being a part of a community of believers. There's no better community than church family. Many of you know in 2013, I lost my mom. The Dillon family at home right now is going through a similar situation. And I feel, I feel, I'm heartbroken for them. Because in a lot of ways, I know what they're going through. Because I lost my mom in a car accident seven years ago. There's a couple of things that have, there's a lot of things that have stuck with me, but there's a couple of things that have stuck with me related to the community of believers that I'm walking through life with. One is that when my mom passed away, Leah and I lived about six hours away from where they lived. We lived in Harlingen, Texas, down south. We were actually planning to move that, that weekend. <clears throat> we were about four days away from moving back up to the Houston area, and I got the call. Our apartment was about a quarter of the way packed. There was a truck that we had rented that we had not picked up yet. But I got the call, and we jumped in the car, and we headed north. I didn't care about anything else at that moment. But as we're walking through the next few days, and we're making funeral plans, and we're walking through all that, the back of my mind, I know, my lease is up in four days. All of our stuff is down there. Our other car is down there. I don't know what I'm gonna do. The congregation there in Harlingen, the North 7th Street Church, they went over to our apartment. They boxed all of our stuff up. They cleaned the entire apartment so that we'd get our deposit back. They loaded all of our stuff into our truck. They got my extra car and they drove all of that stuff up to Houston for me. And they got into town and they handed me the keys and they said, it's taken care of. You don't have to worry about it. I can't tell you how how wonderful of a blessing that was. In the hardest days of my life, one of the other things that has stuck with me in in that moment is that there were people, some that go to church here, that drove 10 hours each way when they heard that news, just to come give us a hug and say, we love you, we care about you. It's a lot of good people in the world, but there's no one better than church family. There's no one better than that community of believers. You wanna know why the kingdom of heaven is the pearl of great price? It starts and ends with our salvation. We've been granted eternal life. But it gets better and better when you think about that moral standard and all of the benefits that come from living the way God has designed. That family structure, the strong, wonderful, happy marriage and family life that we can have. And the great blessing that our community, our church is for us. The last thing that I'll mention this morning is the spiritual view of life that we have as a result of being a part of the kingdom. I know where my mom is. And I know one day I get to see her again. But you know, for folks that aren't a part of the kingdom, that hope isn't there. This life is all there is. And when you're not a part of the kingdom of heaven, it makes tragedy and loss and disease 
and financial issues and job problems and relationship struggles and all of those things, it makes them way worse because there's no hope. There's no future. When the kingdom of heaven is our pearl of great price, when it is the most important thing to us, when we give ourselves wholly to it, all of those things are just temporary. All of those things are just bumps in the road. And eventually, we're gonna make our destination. And we're gonna transition to that wonderful place we call heaven. What's the most important thing to you this morning? What's number one in your life? God wants to make you rich. Second Corinthians 8, verse nine. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. You know God wants you to be rich, but not in money, not in possessions, not in pleasure, entertainment, or the great job. Or, he's, he, he's happy when you have those things, but that's not what it's about. He wants you to be rich spiritually and eternally. And if you're holding on to those other things and you're prioritizing them and you're making them number one, that's your pearl, you're missing out. You're missing out on the greatest blessing that you could ever receive. Don't miss out. If you're here this morning and you've not given yourself over to Christ, you've not obeyed the gospel, you've not become a member of that kingdom of heaven, I implore you this morning to do that. Don't wait. Stop making other things more important because there is nothing else in this life that can compare to the great value of the kingdom of heaven. If we can assist you this morning in any way, we would ask that you come and take a seat on the front row as we stand and sing.